Radio for the Agile community. www.agile.fm Hello listeners, I'm here with Jason Little, a uh, lean coach, an agile coach with lean dog and lean into it, depending on where he is, either United States or in his home country, Canada, Toronto to be exact. Welcome to the podcast, Jason. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, Jason, you are the agilecoach.ca and mm -hmm. I'm the co agilecoach.com. So here are the two domain names, agile coaches talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, no, you're on agilecoach.ca, and when you go to that website, you actually see a new book you have released. Um, it's called Lean Change, and uh, this book is all about lean. There's no agile in the title, and it's all about organizational change. There's actually a sample chapter on your website people can read through, uh, and get familiar with the topic, but I want to use this podcast here, just this conversation, just to um, get the listeners acquainted with this topic, and uh, maybe you just want to share a little bit about what this book is all about and uh, what people could take away with it. Sure. Um, so this this book is really about uh, trying to build a bridge between the agile community and the organizational development and change management communities. I think there's a lot that agile practitioners can learn about uh, change management and organizational change from that community and vice versa. I think um, at least from a lot some of the companies that I've talked to uh, who do change management and organizational development could benefit from some of the agile practices. So the book is about how to um, how to come up with a set of more innovative practices for managing how change is introduced in organizations. Mm -hmm. um, in my background, that's typical, typically through the introduction of agile practices, um, which is I, I see that more of um, a trigger for a change as opposed to a destination. Mm -hmm. um, so the book talks about a bunch of different practices from the lean startup world, from the agile world, from the change management world. Uh, from neuroscience and human behavior as well to to help uh, change practitioners kind of have a more well-rounded toolkit mm -hmm. to be able to to manage change within mm -hmm. organizations. So so why lean change? Why not just change? What's so special about it? Um, well, the 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 title is Lean Change Management: Innovative Practices for Managing Organizational Change, mm -hmm. and. Um, the, the term lean change uh, came from uh, a guy named Jeff Anderson. So I worked with him uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, it was a, about applying uh, lean practices to change. Um, so the direction that my book has gone has largely been more into lean plus change management, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, from what I've seen in the traditional community is that a lot of the change management models, they're kind of linear in their thinking and they, they focus on how can we come up with a perfect plan in isolation and then unleash it on the organization and then blame those resistors when they don't do what the plan says. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of literature in the change management world talks about how 70% of change initiatives fail, which I don't take a lot of stock in because I think organizational change is too complex to put mm -hmm. a binary success or fail metric on it. Mm -hmm. So using lean plus change management is, you know, sometimes you have to feel your way through a change. You mm -hmm. can't plan everything up front because of how today's organizations are so complex. Mm -hmm. And a seemingly small change can have some large ripple effects. 
So how can you think smaller? How can you can can you apply lean practices to to figure out small experiments to run and focus on how can you validate whether or not the change you were doing uh, got you the outcome you wanted versus trying to plan all that stuff up front. Mm. So primary audience for me is is people in change management and organizational development, and a secondary audience would be agile practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so using the you know the lean word is kind of intentional to right. to to attract uh, people from the more traditional world to get them to think differently about right. change. Well, so here's a change model you describe in your um, in that chapter you're providing for free on your on your website. People can get familiar with that sample chapter. The change model. Mm-hmm. I'm just reading it out because I don't want to get it wrong. But it's uh, basically it's a five step process. Basically, a status quo, resistance, chaos, um, integration, and then there's a new status quo. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's based on that's based on the uh, the Virginia Satir change model, mm-hmm. um, and that's uh, something that I learned uh, through. Uh, PSL and AYE, which are uh, experiential conferences put on by Jerry Weinberg and Esther Derby, Johanna Rothman, Don Gray, and Steve Smith. And that was a pretty big turning point for me because up until that point, I think I'm going back to about 2008 or so, is, you know, I was taking more of a process expert approach. So I got a, I got my certified Scrum Master, and I was very proud because mm. back then there weren't a lot there weren't a lot of options. Um, and then I realized after going to that first experiential conference, that's heavily based on Satir. That you know what it's really got very little to do with Agile and uh, a whole lot more to do with how people process change. Mm-hmm. So that model specifically talks about um, a, a foreign element is the actual change itself. Mm-hmm. So it's something that is, um, you know, comes from the outside or something I invoke. Mm-hmm. And in an organization, Agile is a pretty massive foreign element that gets thrown into the existing organization. Mm-hmm. As a result, the organization spirals into chaos, and then they hit what is called the transforming idea, where they kind of get it, and then they integrate these new ideas into their new identity, and then they arrive at the new status quo. Right. The tricky part is pe- people and teams are all going through that curve at different rates and different intensities. We're not moving as one cohesive organization, which is why we get some people that are uh, just run like gangbusters with these new agile practices, and you get people that fight to preserve the status quo mm. because that's what they value as a person. So it's important to understand that when bringing change in. Mm-hmm. So there's certain things are affected, and uh, the the ones you're highlighting here are feelings, thought, performance, even uh, physiology is, uh, is, is affected. Do you have some examples yeah. for all that, how this all ties together and based on your experiences? Okay. Um, so I would say that, you know, when, when change is, is brought in uh, and it doesn't work out, like looking at the version one Agile survey and some of the other change management surveys, they cite resistance to change. Mm-hmm. So to me, that is like saying, I have no idea why it didn't work, but those bad people resisted change, which is why it didn't work. Mm -hmm. This model explains that if I'm a project manager who's got 15 years of experience running million-dollar projects, and now some consultant is going to come in and tell me I have to do Agile because it's better, um, I've prided myself on coming up with good plans, and my projects have worked, and and, uh, I like certainty. I don't like variance, you know, I am naturally going to exhibit symptoms as being a resistor to change because for me, Agile seems like chaos. It seems like no planning and no documentation. 
So I'm going to just physically react in a way. My body language is going to be affected at stand-up meetings and when I'm talking about it. So there's lots of other things going on for people um, that that Satir model really, for me, helps helps me understand why I see some of the reactions I do, mm-hmm. and then I can inquire about that. Yeah. So you can tell from the body language, like what phase they're in, in terms of the change. Yeah. Yeah. I had a really good uh, team that I worked with a number of years ago, and uh, one of the guys in the team was. Uh, um, I'd mess up the video if I exhibited the behavior, but you know he was kind of in the stand-up. He was kind of looking around and not really paying attention, and you just knew he was this wasn't sitting well with him. So I pulled him aside and then just asked him. I said, "This, you know, this seems like it's really hard for you. What's going on?" Mm-hmm. And uh, he said that it, it, being forced to stand there reporting status reminded him of being in the army, and it just he just didn't like it. Mm. And I said, "Well, what if we just sat down?" And he said, "Well, are we allowed to do that?" Like. Scrum says we have to stand up. I'm like, no, <laughs> it's our team. The whole point is just to plan your day. The reason why teams stand up is because it keeps the meeting short. But if we can agree to sit down and still be done in 15, 20 minutes and we can have our day planned, awesome. So how about we propose this to the team? Mm-hmm. And that was a, a, a very motivating thing for him. His behavior completely changed from, from then on because he felt some ownership and he felt like uh, – he wasn't being forced to do something. Right. He felt like ownership over his own um, environment and destiny of the process. Oh, could you repeat that one? Sorry, I didn't that catch that one. That felt like it was his destiny, the process. He could influence the process because he was part of it. He wasn't yes. told. He wasn't told what to do in, in that particular situation. Your book is yep. about organizational change and you mentioned that a few times already in in um, in our conversations about organizations what's so special about you know applying change to an individual person versus an entire organization what kind of dimension comes into this mix obviously it's got to be something because it's mm-hmm. it's bigger in size yeah um, for me it's about uh, it's about understanding that that culture question so a lot of uh, a lot of times when Agile is brought in, it's you have to develop the Agile mindset and you have to change your culture, et cetera. And for me, the culture is it's a collection of uh, the interactions and the behaviors of all the individuals mm-hmm. is, is what makes culture emerge. People that have a different set of values than, than what I might have. Mm-hmm. I've worked in some organizations that you know, they value process. So mm-hmm. they see Agile as a way to optimize the process. My personal stance is, yes, I think the mindset and culture is extremely important. But in, in those instances, it's not the right message for that organization. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just, it, it's counter to their existing culture. Mm-hmm. So I have to understand, um, you know, the personalities of the people who are involved in the change and, and what it means for them and take more of an empathetic approach as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, trying to hit them over the head with the agile stick, so to speak. Right. So, so your, um, so how you spend your days is coaching and helping consulting com- companies in, in lean change. And uh, how does a typical day um, look for you? If there is even such a thing as a typical day outside of mm. the training environment, like the, the the coaching side, what is it? What are the things people um, maybe struggle with? Maybe uh, you spend a lot of time on in in this kind of organizational change. 
I think the the, the hardest um, thing I've heard from people who have tried some of these ideas with is um, I like to call it a feedback driven approach to change mm -hmm. and they struggle with typically you know people who are responsible for bringing change in have to come up with some type of plan because they're the subject matter experts and they have a hard time figuring out how to create a feedback driven plan mm -hmm. um, actually I just came from a meeting recently uh, as in you know 10 minutes ago <laughs> where we were talking about this so we had created um, what's called a change canvas a number of months ago and it's basically a strategy for the vision here is to be a a product development organization that can deliver solutions in six months or less as opposed to uh, a project focused organization so this canvas paints a vision and a strategy and some measurements for uh, how we feel we're going to be successful. And um, the change team was starting to come up with a whole bunch of uh, things to do. Well, we need to develop this training program. We need to develop this. We need to develop that. Um, mm. And then I asked them the question, well, how do you know those are the right changes to do? And just dead silence. Mm. And that's the whole key behind mean change management is co-creating the change by involving the people who are affected by the change in the design of it. And that's a hard thing for, um, you know, practitioners, change practitioners to get their heads around mm. because they're the ones who are the experts that are supposed to be coming up with the change. Mm. And they usually have a deadline and a budget. So, you know, we can't possibly get feedback from people to input into this plan because we have to get it done by next week. Right. Well, then your, cha your change isn't going to work. So they, um, I'm, I, I'm working also with a Fortune 100 company uh, remotely helping them with some of these ideas and early on that was their hardest mm. point to get around was you know what does this feedback driven approach to change mean mm -hmm. and how can we do it so I worked with them um, for a couple of hours every other week by doing a study group on the first version of my book and then it was actually two weeks ago when they finally got it mm. they said oh we, we get what that means now it means we're trying to we're facilitating change we're not managing it we're not controlling it we're trying to allow the right changes to emerge based on where we're headed as an organization mm -hmm. i'm like bingo that's exactly it right is, so that, that's the hardest thing yeah does that include like meta question is it more like let's instead of going in with prescribed um approaches like as you mentioned the training material like the certain things about change but actually asking the questions about the program the meta yes. questions that's what you're referring yes. to. Okay. Just Def to defi that. Definitely the meta questions for sure. Because a lot of uh, change models, they're linear in their nature. And, mm -hmm. you know, the change consulting firms that come in, like you bring the, these big firms in to implement Agile or implement a change, of course they have a recipe to follow. That's what big companies do. Yeah. We don't want to follow the rest. Yeah. Like a chef would, as mm -hmm. opposed to applying the same linear prescriptive formula to introducing change. Right. So in your sample chapter, um, actually you, uh, I don't know, if have, have you ever done a crane prolet? Have you ever? <laughs> uh, I've had it, but I've never tried to make one myself. It's very... I've had a burnt, burnt one before, yes, so it's... I assume that was very bad. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. uh, but you're referring to uh, the crane prolet and uh, as a as a thing, it's like it's almost like there is you know there's so many parameters who make a successful crane prolet or not. But 
um, how does your toolkit, the actual toolkit, toolkit of lean change and the innovative approach, um, can you give like an example of how to help organizations? What would be one of those examples of a toolkit or an element of the toolkit for people to to apply? Is there any kind of example you have? Okay, um, so one of the uh, one of the tools comes from a professor named B.J. Fogg, and he has a behavior model that talks about in order for change, like individual change to happen, there's two levers. One of the levers is ability, and one is motivation. Uh, we always look at motivation. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, there's tens of millions of blog posts around how to motivate people and how, how to, you know, mastery autonomy purpose are the only things that matter and we can't use the carrot stick method. And it's always motivation, motivation, motivation. Mm -hmm. um, but one of his models is, well, ability is there as well. If a change is really hard to do, all the motivation in the world is not going to allow that change to happen. Okay. There has to be some ability. And he says, if ability is low and motivation is high, what you need to do is you need to facilitate that change. You need to somehow make that change easier. Mm. Whereas, uh, and that might be me as a coach. I go sit with the team for a week and I work with them as a team member mm -hmm. to show them. And the opposite is if motivation is low, but ability is high. So if you go into a team that has lots of experience in a, in a particular domain um, and, and they're a high performing team, they just might not be aware of a practice like behavior driven development. Mm -hmm. So he's, he calls that sparking motivation. So all you need to do is you need to make them aware that there's a better way to do something. And they'll be like, Oh, cool. Let me go read a book and let's go try it. Mm -hmm. And then, and they'll do it. And that's two drastically different approaches for how a change agent could implement a change within an organization. So I like to use that model a lot and kind of map out um, all the different types of changes that I'm doing with the change team and, mm -hmm. and look at the differences. Like which of these are really hard to do? Mm -hmm. We might not want to do these right now. Right. How many, how many different departments do we have to cut across to implement a new funding model to support product teams instead of project teams? Mm -hmm. Let's not fight that battle. Let's just let our, our teams who are siloed deliver stuff faster with better quality. Mm -hmm. and, and Agile would throw me out of the club and, and take my badge away for saying something like that. <laughs> but that's the reality of where they're at. You know, yeah. The approach of delivering crap faster might be the best approach for now. Then let's worry about building the right thing. Let's mm -hmm. not try and build the right thing the right way right from the start. Because mm -hmm. it might not fit in their, in, in their environment. So mm -hmm. I like that behavioral model. Yeah. So that's that's a very interesting uh, element in your in your toolbox. I love it. It's great. It's a it's a great example. Um, you you do mention a lot of organizational change, and sometimes you leave the lean off. And I know that you always look at other than lean kind of organizational change. Obviously, there's a long long history um, of change management in general, and there's a lot of input and results uh, you could tap into. Obviously, from a from a lean's perspective, just in terms of change control as a whole, what kind of things influence you from the traditional world? Is there anything out there which you feel like we shouldn't we shouldn't just ignore all of that stuff? There's some really good things there. Um, the the one I like the most is is probably from Kurt Lewin, who is credited as being kind of the uh, the uh, the father of change management. So um, he he has what is called a force field analysis. Mm -hmm. 
which I like to use when I am uh, helping align teams with an overall change strategy, which is bring the strategy to the team and let the team call shenanigans on it and let the team write down what in the organization is working against this change and what is supporting it and then how can we contribute to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I very, I don't really talk about the models at all. I just use those types of questions. Like I don't talk about what's the urgency for the change mm-hmm. because that's not the right question. Urgency is going to emerge from the conversations that happen. So if I can get them thinking about, you know what, our, our VPs want us to go agile and do this, what would be in our way? Mm-hmm. Which is the negative part of the force field analysis. And then what would be supporting it? And then bring that feedback back to the VPs to have them revise the strategy based on input from the teams. So I think that that's one of the ones I like the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like uh, the McKinsey 7S framework, which is one of the least popular from my research in the traditional world, because it really speaks to how interconnected today's organizations are. It's not a linear model. It says if you change any one of the, the seven dimensions, all other six are affected. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, something like ProSize Adcar is very linear. It says, create a, start up your project, create a plan, implement the plan, close down the project. Well, change doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. So um, I like, uh, so those two are probably my favorite, the McKinsey 7S and, and Kurt Lewin's force field. Because right. they, re- they really talk about the dynamic nature of change um, and how it's, you just, you can't predict it's, how mm-hmm. it's going to unfold. Right. So what I'm hearing is uh, old is not necessarily bad. Old, right. is, old does not necessarily mean it doesn't work with lean and agile and so on. There's a nice marriage between those things, but use them carefully. Not everything applies directly to the, wor- the way how we think in the agile and in the lean world. Yeah, yeah. Right. So your book, yeah. is, your book provides that kind of uh, um, guideline and would put only toolkits in, which may be coming from the from the past or from older traditional methods, but combined now with a uh, lean spin. Yeah, yeah. It's very much like uh, like Jurgen Napolo's management trio, where he calls it the Mojito method. So by taking models and ideas from many different communities and combining them into a new model, mm-hmm. it's more effective than those individual ideas. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the general uh, idea behind it. Um, I talk a little bit about Cotter's eight steps as well in the book, uh, which I think is pretty popular in agile circles. Absolutely. Um, but it's not a step-by-step process. Yeah. I think some people fall into that trap of we need to finish step one, which is create urgency. Yeah then we need to move on to step two, which is create the coalition, which was not his intent. Yeah. I use those eight steps more as a checklist. Here's eight ingredients that help build a successful change program. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're addressing each of them, but tactically you build urgency by you know, running a lean coffee session. Mm-hmm. You get VPs and staff in a room together for an hour, having an open, honest dialogue that contributes to the creation of urgency. Mm-hmm. So, so things like that. Wonderful. It's really wonderful, and uh, I have to say, uh, I myself got a little bit appetite for more. Um, I'm gonna cool. absolutely. I'm gonna reach out to more uh, of of your writing. I'm gonna visit you absolutely on agilecoach.ca. Um, there's this book. This is just brand new, right? It's just recently published, 2014. The first edition I published uh, about a year ago. I released it through LeanPub, so I actually. Did uh, validation that people wanted these ideas. This is the second edition that's being released through Happy Melly Express. So it's a complete rewrite. 
um, and it's going to come out with a bunch of other supporting material, tutorials, and uh, Canvas ideas and things like that. Perfect. And um, leanchange.org is the site where you can get more information specifically about the book okay, and, and sign up to get chapters. Yeah, yeah thanks, for, thanks for saying that. And uh, also your Twitter handle, Chase and Little. You got that yeah. one. Perfect. And people can yeah. connect with you and start a dialogue about change, lean change. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you for having and, me. And uh, explaining a little bit your thoughts and ideas behind uh, your book. Thank you, Jason. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Joe Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.